Can you charge your adult child rent? What do you do when you're a spender and your spouse is a saver? No, these aren't questions you send in to Joe and Big Al. These are questions that author and journalist Kristen Wong has answered in joint accounts. That's her relationships and money column at medium.com. Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, after Joe and Big Al give us an interesting look at their thoughts on money and relationships, Kristen gives hers. Plus, she explains how communication, specificity, and gamification can improve your financial life. As she covered in her book, Get Money, Live the Life You Want, Not Just the Life You Can Afford. And Joe and Big Al do answer your money questions. Should you increase your Roth 457 contribution when your spouse wants to retire eight years before you? Does a SEP IRA have the same protections as a 401k? Does your company have to allow third-party management of your 401k? Plus, Big Al admits that he answered a question incorrectly last week. Stick around for the right answer. I'm producer Andy Last with the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and... The birthday boy, Mr. Big Al Clopine. Uh, he can now collect Social Security benefits. Congratulations. Thank you. It, and I realize been, his birthday was Wednesday. It's been, it's been a long time of coming. <laughs> here, here I am. Are you going to pile it suspend? <laughs> I already did. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't do that anymore. Does that make you feel old? Did no. you ever think it would come to the time where you're like, oh my God, I'm Social Security eligible? No, but here's what I want to do. Yeah. I want to talk to my parents. Do you realize you have a son that's <laughs> eligible for Social Security? Oh, that well, that's was, just mean. Yeah, that is kind of. Well, do you think it's going to be there when you <laughs> when, I, when I when I get there? Let's see, it's still there today, so I, I guess so. Oh my! But God. I'm not I'm not planning on taking it till age seventy. Oh, okay, good. So I got to wait eight years. Yeah, so you still so got I, some time. I made. <laughs> we'll see. We'll, we'll keep yeah. you posted on the the trust fund. I don't know how to pronounce this name, Al. <laughs> I believe it's Narayan. Yeah, that, that sounds right. Narayan. From New Gardens, New York? Kew Gardens. Oh, Kew Gardens. Yeah. All right. Here is where I am now. Well, where was he before? This is somebody who has emailed you before. So um, he, you, this, this is a conversation you started having in 2016, mm. and you forwarded it to me. And right. so... I don't, Okay. Well, let's just go with where he's at now. Well, we got Joe's answer in 26. So we're, we want to go back in time? I gave you that information so that you could read all of this beforehand and have an idea of what you were doing oh, before you got on the air. Got it, got it, got it. <laughs> that would be great if we were prepared. Got it. Right. That is called <laughs> prep. prep. Show prep, yes. <laughs> it's not our strong suit. <laughs> that is definitely not our strong suit. Okay, here's where I am now, Nairon. Narayan. <laughs> that was close, though. Uh, Say it five times. Here, okay, so he's uh, traditional 450, 457. He's got 47,000. Contributes 17% of my income. That's phenomenal. That's awesome. great, yes. He's got a Roth 450, 18. He contributes 3%, so he's got 20% of his income going in. Wife's uh, 403B plan, uh, plan 61,000. Combined Roth IRAs is 81. He's got a whole life cash value um, of 23,000. All right. Do you recommend an increased contribution to Roth 457? He makes $97,000 a year. My wife makes 97,000 a year. So a couple hundred. Um, I will have a little more 
then the standard deduction is I pay about $20,000 in mortgage interest. So from the previous emails from 2016, I, I gathered that Narayan is 46. His wife is 47. That's today. He plans to work at least 15 more years. She wants to work seven more years. He started the Roth 457 in 2016. He'll have about a $4,000 a month pension and a $2,500 a month railroad retirement. And his wife will have $2,600 a month pension and Social Security. And he says that people call it Social Insecurity. It's very insecure. All right. Well, good for you, Andy, for getting us up to speed. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Okay, so... So let's start with the, so there's a couple hundred, we're going to round it. So $200,000 of income between you and your wife and the standard. Well, let's, let's look at this here. Um, we should have started here. Because in um, 2016, just a few short years ago, he emailed me personally. And of course, I took it upon myself to give him some really good financial planning advice for free. Right, and he had eleven thousand dollars in a four hundred one k, three thousand dollars in a four fifty seven, and six thousand dollars in traditional IRAs. So what is that? That's twenty thousand dollars total in twenty sixteen. We mm-hmm. fast forward to twenty nineteen. Boom! Look at this guy. He's all over the. He's got eighty. He's got about two hundred thousand. Yeah, about two hundred is right. And you told him in two thousand sixteen. Once your pre tax accounts get larger, then I would look at going Roth four fifty seven. So he's looking at it now. He's like, all right, well, here, they're getting a little bit large. He's so saving he's... 20% of his income. They're making great income. Um, what should he be doing? Um, well, first of all, a few things off the bat here. Your $200,000, I think you probably can save more than um, 20% potentially. Potentially. I would encourage yeah. you to try to um, max out the 457 um, plan. For both you and the spouse, because I think at that tax rates, and then still contribute the max to the to the Roth IRAs, I would get rid of the whole life cash value and life insurance. I uh, would look at term for the next twenty years because you want to work for the next fifteen years. So I'd get rid of that, and I would look at a twenty-year term policy um, because in twenty years you're gonna if you follow Big L in. Uh, your money, your wealth advice, you're going to have plenty of financial resources to take care of your spouse if something were to happen to you. And so here's what I'm going to add to to your comments. Uh, So a couple hundred thousand dollars of income, and if you have roughly the standard deduction and put your taxable income about 175, that puts you in the 22% tax bracket, which is a pretty low bracket. So the fact that you've um, you've got a lot of good pension income and Social Security income, you and your spouse, uh, which is generally going to be taxed at ordinary income rates, I would favor the the Roth 457 because everything else is going to be ordinary income. And so this is a way to create a little bit more tax diversification. So I think that would be a good idea. And because of the new tax law, you're in a low enough bracket where I think that makes sense. Yep, I agree. Right, because he's going to have big fixed income. Yeah. And if he continues to save as much as he is, or listening to us by saving more, you know. I mean, you look at it like this: you you got a fifteen year time horizon. Your wife wants to retire a little bit earlier, right? She wants to retire in five years. Seven years. Seven years. You got seven years of making two hundred thousand dollars a year. And then after seven years, it's over. So think about it. You you only got a very short window here to make sure that you're doing everything you possibly can because her income's gone, and in seven years, seven years goes by so quickly. 
then can you live off of just your income? Are you going to continue to save the 20% that you're saving now? I highly doubt it. The savings are going to stop in most cases, right? So learn how to live without our income now by saving it. And if you can save that money over the next seven years, then once she stops working, guess what? You're going to kill it. But that's not probably, that's, that's what that's, usually not, what, what, what doesn't happen. It's hey, good. you gave him advice to just cram money into his accounts and he did it. So he but, may do this. So, uh, you know, I was talking to some people hypothetically just a couple of days ago. Maybe it was a dream. <laughs> hypothetically. <laughs> right. And so one person wanted to retire. And they made one hundred fifty thousand, and he was a little bit older. The spouse was making two hundred thousand dollars, and I and she was younger, right? And I said, okay, you're going to retire two years, and you're going to continue to work. And they're just got married, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> That's what you said. Yes. And they looked at me, and they're like, "What are you talking about?" I said, "You guys, you know, they're in the second marriage, later in life. He's sixty-five, she's fifty-five. Okay." And so I was like, she makes really good income, and she's self-sufficient. She, everything is separate, right? She likes to spend her money how she likes to spend her money. She's 55 years old. She does, she's been very successful. He, on the other hand, right, says, I'm done working. He's got a little bit more assets. She's got a larger pension, but her pension doesn't come in until she's 65. She's 10 years younger, right? So all of these moving parts are happening. And I said, okay, you just met online. You're going to get married, okay? And then he's going to stop working, and he's going to live off of your income. And I said, and you're spending most of your income right now. So you got to make up $100,000 of his income. And I said, okay, can you save $100,000 over the next two years before you retire and live off of her income? How would you feel about that? She's like, oh, geez, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I like that. I was like, of course not. But when you retire, that's exactly what's going to happen. And guess what? You're going to be on those online dating sites again because you're going to get divorced. <laughs> it's going to be a nightmare. Wow. Look at you. Well, you just got to call it how you see it. Right, out. right. But if, that's how I was thinking about it. Well, you've been married for 40 years. 31. 31 years, yeah. right? So it's a little bit different. Annie, how long have you been married? I've been married six. Six years. Okay. Together I've never been nine. married. So let's say if I go on Bumble. Right. Okay. And I met, is, that need the, this, is that the one you like? I, I, don't, I don't do online dating. Okay. Hey, I met my husband on OkCupid. OkCupid. I suggest it. Okay, we're going to OkCupid. Yeah, that's better. So then maybe I find the girl of my dreams on OkCupid. That is the stupidest name I've ever It heard. is. <laughs> so, I met my okay. first husband online, too. All right. So it worked <laughs> out. So what, all right, so now it's like, okay, she doesn't work. Let's say, you know what? No, we love each other. We're, oh, just the first few months is so nice, right? And then we decide to get married. And then so right away when, I, when we get married, she quits her job. What am I going to think? <laughs> I'm going to be like, this is not what I signed up for. I want a partner, right? But probably when we are in our honeymoon phase, oh, sure, no yeah, big right, deal. Right. You know, I make a decent living, and guess what? You know, we'll make things work, and you've got see- six months in. It's about for better or for worse, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> you do make those promises. That actually happened to me, but I'm still married 31 years later. 
was what Annie was like a high powered like on the track to be a CEO. You get married, <laughs> so she's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like I've got easy street. Here. I'm done. No, I, I got I, Big I, Al with his big wallet. I think it was I think it was towards the end of our honeymoon. It was like, you know, I'm really not enjoying my job that much. <laughs> so I and I was newly I I just started my CPA practice and I thought oh okay this will be interesting, <laughs> so I was thinking well okay I can teach her how to be a bookkeeper. Oh, you were gonna work together? Yeah, work together. Okay. Yeah, uh, and I don't recommend that <laughs> spouses work together. <laughs> we figured that out pretty quickly, and and the, here was the this was the final capper, which is like. You know, I'm, so I'm a CPA. I didn't have a postage machine. I mean, I just started my practice, office in the home. And so I was mailing out some stuff to clients. And, you know, me being a CPA, you put the stamps on really nice and neat, right? <laughs> she was all over the place. <laughs> and I just very calmly said, you know, it's, it, I would really appreciate if it was <laughs> – that didn't go over very well. <laughs> I, she to, to this day, she's – and so you're telling me how to put stamps on an envelope. <laughs> but somehow we survived that. Well, I can later. see, right? I mean, it's a financial document that you're sending out. Yeah. You want it to look so Professional. Like that's, what, that's what I tried to say. <laughs> if you both can support the other, if one of you can't work, if one of you goes to work while the other one has to stay home for whatever reason, that is what a marriage is about. Yes, I get that totally. But you have to plan for it. My yes. whole point to it is I'm not saying that they're going to blow up. I'm right. sure they're going to have 40 years of loving marriage. Because they're very fine people, and I like... As long as they put the stamps on straight. It's it's, it's nothing about their love for each other, is what I'm saying, right? That comes first, then comes baby, then comes the baby in the baby carriage. Right? The, Except this the is the our sequence. second marriage. Right. First she, come love, then come marriage, then yeah, right. comes. You guys don't know that little nursery <laughs> yes. rhyme. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. But the, the point that I was trying to make is that: Have you thought about it? Have you had a discussion about it? Have you mapped this thing out? Right. Sure. Have you looked at? Okay. Well, if you stop working, that means that income is no longer going to be there, and then now both of you are going to live off of one income. And if you're very comfortable with the incomes that you currently have, and then you you make up this budget that is nowhere near in the realm of reality, right? And say we're going to spend X when you're already spending way more than that. I mean, you just sometimes you've got to look at it and and have a come to Jesus and say, okay, well, yes, I'm fine with that. I realize that this is going to happen and all the way through. So you need a plan. Yeah, well, just conversation, too. You know, a plan could be... Yeah, that's what um, our um, Christy... Kristen Wong. Kristen Wong. Yes. Yes, so people should email her to get their relationship and money issues figured out. They're a really nice couple. Yeah. But I'm just saying, we see that all the time, right? It's especially when you got little age differential. I mean, that's probably we see ten of those a week. Yeah, we see that, and then we see income differential, and we see asset differential, and any of those can be. I mean, it's it doesn't it's not necessarily a disaster, but you need to have a chat about it and figure it out. 
There you have it, the Your Money, Your Wealth take on money and relationships. Scroll down yourmoneyyourwealth.com and click Ask Joe and Al on air to send in your retirement, investing, tax, and money questions. You could try Joe and Big Al for your money and relationship questions as well, like Narayan did without knowing it. Or you could visit the joint accounts column at medium.com with advice by Kristen Wong. She's a freelance writer and journalist and the author of Get Money, Live the Life You Want, Not Just the Life You Can Afford. And she's our guest today on Your Money, Your Wealth. Let's dive in. Kristen, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. Hey, you know, I'm a huge fan of your blog, Joint Accounts. So before we get into the book, I want to talk a little bit about that because, you know, I, I would say most couples fight about money. And your blog, it's like kind of like almost like a Dear Abby, right? People are you know writing in with all of their little money problems and troubles. And then I think how you articulate their issues and give solid advice is phenomenal. I'm just curious, uh, what you. brought you... To help people, I mean, did you have a very troubling um, relationship with someone that you were like, you know what, I got it, I figured it out, now I got to help the world? Now you're getting personal. <laughs> yeah, right off the bat. Huh? <laughs> yes, uh, my husband. Um, we had very <laughs> different money views when we were first dating, and we kind of, we've gotten on the same page, and, and sort of our habits around money have switched. Like I used to be super frugal and he was kind of the spender. And then he started understanding how money works and getting into personal finance. And now he's really great at it and he's super frugal. And I'm kind of like, come on, let's spend, let's spend our money. Um, so I don't know, it's, it, it's interesting and it's kind of hard in the column sometimes because we get, so we get these anonymous questions that are uh, pretty specific about people's specific relationship scenarios in which they're disagreeing on some kind of financial issue. And it's kind of hard sometimes because the, the, the advice really comes down to communication, but you don't want to repeat that in every answer. Like, well, it just really is about communication, but it, it totally is. I mean, and there are specifics in each, um, each, each person's scenario. Like we had somebody who was struggling with an inheritance. We had somebody, and it's not just, uh, you know, romantic relationships. It's also somebody had an issue with their therapist when they're like, I'm very anxious about money and how expensive things are. And therapy is one of those things. So how do I bring that up with my therapist? <laughs> um, and so just things like that, that are kind of interesting, but it really comes back to communication a lot of the times. And just people have, a, I mean, people have a hard time talking about money in general, but especially in relationships, I think for some reason it's even more awkward. You know, when you look at, um, you know, the, the spender saver um, dynamic in a relationship, uh, what we find is that you can kind of muster through um, as you're accumulating and saving money because the paychecks basically kind of keep coming in and you can have conversations. Um, but a lot of the individuals that Al and I um, work with or talk with, um, you know, they're kind of on the other side of that coin where, you know, there's no paychecks coming in anymore. They're basically trying to create their paycheck from the assets that they've saved. And if you got one saver that basically saved most of the money, but they're a couple and been married for 20, 30 years, and now they're spending the assets, and then that spender is spending as they normally have, I think this is where we see like this huge divorce rate happening. So, I mean, if they can read your column before it happens, I think we could <laughs> save the world here, Kristen. <laughs> I hope so. That would be great. Yeah, I mean... It's hard because people have different priorities. People not only have different priorities and different goals, but then they have different ways of handling money and, and different ways. Their relationship with money is different. Um, so I think like the key is just having those conversations well before you get to where problems are going to start. So you know what to expect. 
So if you know, and I mean, that just comes down to talking about what your future goals are and getting on the same page with your partner, your spouse about um, how you plan to, what you want to do at retirement. What does your income even look like at retirement? Um, knowing what to expect. I mean, you just, it's not going to solve every problem, but it certainly helps avoid unpleasant surprises down the road, I think. So, so let me ask you, so how do you even start these conversations? Do you say, you know what, you're kind of an overspender. We need to talk about this? <laughs> uh, I would not recommend that. That wouldn't opener. be the way? <laughs> even though you probably want to, I think the key is really making sure that you approach the conversation in a non-judgmental way, um, at least at first. It's hard not to judge when like your your partner's money habits are really stressing you out. Um, but it puts them on the defense immediately. So they're like now looking for ways to make you wrong. Um, so I think if you approach it and say like, hey, I want to sit down and talk about both of our spending habits, both of our financial habits. Um, I want to learn about yours and talk about yours. And then I want to talk about mine and then just kind of have the conversation really objectively and say like, this is what you're spending on. These are your priorities. This is what you, your withdrawal rate for retirement. This is what you think is appropriate. Here's what I think is appropriate. And then just kind of talk about those things objectively and then get into the conversation of like, okay, how can we find a middle ground? How can we find a compromise? What things are completely inflexible to you um, and what things are you flexible on? And then what things are inflexible to me? What am I flexible on? And what's the overlapping middle ground there? I got an uh, off-the-wall question for you because after <laughs> yeah. reading we go. your blogs and the book here, what, um, what is the, what, the most impulse buy that you've – or, or the, the most regrettable purchase you've ever made in your life? Do you have one? Oh, gosh. Oh, man, I have so many. Well, let's talk That's about That's the problem. It. Um, you could ask Joe well, what his was because he already knows. <laughs> oh, well, what, let's start with you then. What is yours? I, see, Al, it's, this is this is not about me. <laughs> I see, bought you, a, you threw it out there. Yes, I bought a um, a replica Darth Vader helmet that cost more than I probably should have paid for. It. But I, I will say, you do love that thing. I do. So maybe it's in my it, maybe room. it was worth oh. it. I don't. So think you still so. have it? I, yes, I do. I still have it. <laughs> Uh, and the two stormtrooper yes, masks. Yes, and I have two stormtrooper masks. Oh. Yes. So when he has a couple friends over, they get all dressed up. <laughs> you're, oh you're always Darth, right? <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, well, no, because we're all, I, I, I'm a certified financial planner. I've been helping people with their finances for, you know, 20 years, right? Big Al's a CPA. Been helping people, you know, for about 55 years. <laughs> And then, Chris, not, I mean, we quite. have Kristen Wong on, right? We all make mistakes. I was just curious, yeah. well, you know, I mean, if, if, yeah. if she's ever had an impulse oh, Okay, Kristen, you had a chance My, to think about it. What, what's yours? Well, when you said the Darth Vader, the thing that immediately came to mind is I bought these collectible Garfield mugs. Like McDonald's, when I was a kid, used to have these Garfield clear mugs. And Kristen, you're speaking my language. I did the same thing. <laughs> Those same, are the same. And the thing is, never, ever, like, this is the cardinal rule of personal finance. Do not shop online after you've been drinking a little bit. <laughs> ah, yeah, that's a good one. You will buy Garfield collectible mugs from your childhood. And I still have mine, too. But I never look at them. So I don't know. That was a regrettable purchase for me. Yeah. I mean, there are so many. but <laughs> And you think that they're going to, like, go up in value and that kind of stuff. And, yeah, that, that, that generally does not work out. <laughs> No, I, I'm curious about because the, the, when you start talking about finances and relationships, it, it gets very much into people's behavior and that sort of thing. And that's kind of where your book goes as well. 
Yeah, it's very much about your psychology and your habits. And, um, you know, I think a lot of times people think money is, is, pretty, is as easy as just making a budget. Like, just make a budget. You'll be good. You'll be fine. But it's like the sticking to the budget part that we have trouble with. I mean, so much of it is psychological and so much of it comes down to our habits and behavior. And that's, that's it's so much easier said than done to say, oh, just stick to a budget. It sounds well and good. You have every intention to, but something inevitably comes up. So my book is, yeah, very much, I mean, there's the financial literacy, the kind of money 101 stuff, um, how to open an investment account, things like that. But it very much gets into the psychology of how to actually stick to your financial goals. You've got a, a chapter in your book called uh, Budget Like You're Building a House. What, what do you mean by that? So, like, I think the basically the idea of that is, like, when you're building a house, you have to have a strong foundation. And I think for a budget, the foundation is really what your financial goal is. What, and, and, I mean, even beyond finances, like, just what do you want to do in life? What do you value? Um, because when you give yourself a reason to be good with money, something that's actually meaningful to you, you're much more likely to stick to that budget, to stick to that goal. So if you say something like, I think when most people like want to get, at least like younger generations, when they want to get good at money, it's just because, oh, well, I'm a responsible adult. That's what responsible adults do. But that's a really boring and vague goal. But when you get specific with it and you say like, well, I want to get out of student loan debt because I want to travel more, that's a good foundation. And then you start getting really specific with that. Like I want to pay off, um, you know, $10,000 worth of student loan debt in two years so I can start saving for a $3,000 trip um, to South America or something. When you know what your foundation for your budget or for your financial health is, you give yourself something to say yes to so that when you're restricting yourself, it doesn't feel like restricting yourself. It feels like saying yes to something else, if that makes sense. And I think it's really important to just have that solid foundation when you're building a budget. I mean, that's such a good point with everything, because you're, you're, you're turning the negative into a positive. And right, exactly. It's it, so it's like, well, no, here, you know, you can never spend anything. Right. I feel yeah. like I'm just constantly <laughs> saving. I feel broke, even though I have cash flow. But I'm, you know, I'm constantly just putting it. But if you're thinking, hey, I, I'm putting this money for a larger goal or a larger purpose that I'm I'm going to value a lot more than my Darth Vader mask. <laughs> maybe, right? maybe that was your larger goal. Yes. Maybe that was the goal. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or, or, or my giant Rodney Dangerfield golf bag that <laughs> that has a full bar in it. Wow. <laughs> Very cool. He's a fun guy to party with, Kristen. <laughs> so it's it's like you, you could give up some of that if you have that focus you know, in the future of something a lot larger. So I, I think you frame that very, very well. Um, so it's not like a negative, oh, well, I'm pinching pennies versus no, I'm, I'm really going to be able to purchase something that, that, that has a lot it more matters meaning. matters to you, yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think, of course, you know, there are going to be times when you still feel like you're restricting yourself. I mean, you get tired of the goal. You get bored with it. It's taking too long. And so you just want to go to that concert or, or buy that Darth Vader mask. And you're like, why should I restrict myself? But for the most part, I think, yeah, if you have that, if you have, give yourself like some light at the end of the tunnel so you know what you're working toward. So it doesn't just feel like restricting yourself for the sake of restricting yourself. And, and talking about that turning a negative into a positive, your book is in, in chapters. It's actually in levels like a game. Yeah. And so many so many um, you know people market to us by trying to to gamify us so that we'll spend more with them and you've actually turned that on its head as well. I love the concept of gamification because 
Yeah, exactly. Businesses kind of use that to, so gamification is basically uh, a business marketing tool that companies use to manipulate your behavior, to make you feel like you're empowered and you're in control. And that makes you feel good. So you want to buy their stuff. And like store loyalty cards are a good example of that because like you're racking up points. So it feels like <laughs> it feels like spending money is a game. Right. And I mean, it's kind of a fun concept. And I thought like a lot, I was researching a lot about gamification just because it fascinated me. I'm like, a lot of the psychology behind it is exactly what people need to be good at money. Like, and research backs this up. When you feel more in control and you feel more empowered, you actually make better financial decisions to keep yourself in a place of, like you save more because you want to maintain that feeling. And when you spend, you sort of feel like a little bit guilty, you feel like a little, you, you feel less in control. So there's research to back it up. And so the book is kind of framed in a way of like making the reader feel like they are playing a game or they are, um, ch they're challenging themselves to be good at money. And the core of that is, yeah, having a goal, having a reason that you want to play the game of money, as cheesy as that sounds, the, a reason you want to play that game in the first place. Hey, question for you um, is that let's say uh, I'm motivated, I have the goal, I'm saving the money, and then I fall off the ledge <laughs> and I start spending. And then I go through this spiral of guilt and shame. How do, uh, what are exercises? Because this happens all the time. And, you know, we, we had a, a recent listener come in and say, hey, guys, every time I listen to the podcast, I feel motivated. I save a lot more money. I'm more focused on my money. And then I, you know, don't listen to you guys for, you know, hopefully it's only a week, but it's probably a couple of months. And then he comes <laughs> back and then he's like, I'm re-energized. Re what are some topics, or I mean, not, not topics, but what maybe some exercises or some of the things that, that you are, were able to help your listeners and, and um, writers readers. Uh, to, readers, um, to, to kind of get them back on track when they, when they have that relapse? Yeah, I think a lot of times what happens is people like they blow their budget and then they feel so guilty or so scared or just negative about it that they ignore it completely. And they're like, oh, well, let's just pretend that didn't happen. And if I and then it makes you want to like keep blowing your budget because you're like, well, if I if, I, if I'm going to go big, I might as well, if I'm going to blow my budget, I might as well go big. <laughs> right. So then you just keep spending and spending. So I think one thing is, um, I mean, really, I think having people around you who are like-minded and can keep you in check is really important. So that, I mean, I know a lot of people who are on like personal finance forums where they're, it's a kind of a daily habit where they're talking about their money because then it's harder to ignore, right? Because if you're just doing it on your own, you're listening to a podcast, you're reading a book, you can just put the book down and walk away from it and then that's where the trouble happens. But I think if you kind of have a support network of people, then it's, it keeps you in check. And that's, I think, why a lot of these personal finance blogs are really popular, because people start them as a way to like hold themselves accountable, and they end up being really good with money, because it's a very effective way of holding yourself accountable. We're talking to Kristen Wong. Um, phenomenal book. Congratulations on the success. Uh, where Thank can you. people find it? I'm, I'm guessing um, where all popular books are sold. Where books are sold on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, bookstores, independent bookstores, your library. If you want to check it out, if it's not available at your library, um, you can request it. So yeah, 
It is called, uh, you can go to the website, www.thegetmoneybook.com. Thegetmoneybook.com. Well, A, we really appreciate you taking some time to hanging out with us. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, go to joint accounts. Joint accounts at uh, medium.com. At medium.com. Yep. All right. And then, you know. And you can email your, your money and relationship questions to Kristen there. Yeah. Uh, when you're yes, overspender, you. when you're the overspender in the relationship. Al, you should read that blog. I said, yeah. Yes. Here's another blog for Al. Um, Should I charge my kids rent when they still live with me in their 40s? Uh (laughs) I knew you were going to bring that up. Check the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com for links to Kristen's book, Get Money, her joint accounts column at medium.com, and to read the transcript of this interview. And be sure you're subscribed to the Your Money, Your Wealth podcast. We'll not only help you stay motivated to stick with your financial goals, but you'll also get ideas and inspiration. For example, have you thought about how you want to spend your time in retirement? Next week on YMYW, we'll hear from Gid Poole who at the age of 61 decided to start a retirement hustle as a stand-up comedian. Now he's traveling the world doing comedy on cruise ships. Subscribe at yourmoneyyourwealth.com so you don't miss it. Now it's time for more money questions. Scroll down to the Ask Joe and Al on air button at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to send the fellas a voice message or an email. Tom uh, called in last week and had a question for Big Al in regards to um, a 1098T filing right um and that has to do with scholarships and then the kids getting scholarships but i guess he was so smart that the scholarship was more than the actual tuition uh so there was some monies left over and then so thomas was asking hey can i use those dollars as earned income so his son could fund a roth ira or ira uh, that is correct, and it, that's the question. And you the, said no. That's the question. Then there was then then a follow up question, uh, and so well, let's let's talk about how you answered that question. <laughs> well, it's the first mistake I've made since I qualified for Social Security. <laughs> anyway, so I did some research on that, and I was wrong. And so Tom probably felt something tingling in yeah, his body. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. saying, you know what? Um, I think I stumped the big one. Yeah. So let, let me ex- let me explain. And then so well, let me ask his follow up question. Okay. All right. He goes, uh, "Thanks for answering my question. I'm flattered to be called an engineer, Tom. You are definitely more engineer than a humble high school English teacher." Uh, after listening, he's a still bit confused on if his stepson needs to file or not. Attached is worksheet eight. From Publication 501, so Tom's really getting in the weeds here with us. I mean, he's actually sending Big Al tax forms. I got the copy Uh, right here. I mean, that's what we do, folks, right? That's what we do for our listeners. Send us tax returns. We go through them. Um, Send us whatever you want. Um, So he sent the Publication 501 to Big Al, which I used to calculate his kitty tax deduction of $37.92, uh, seeing as this is equal to his total income amount, I figured that this would lead to a total tax due of zero. I might be missing something. Al, what say okay. you? Great question. So, so first of all, let me let me talk about scholarships um, because in the normal case is that the college uh, costs, supplies, and so forth. Let's just say it's twenty thousand dollars, and you get ten thousand. So you got to come up with another ten thousand out of pocket. But occasionally, it's the other way around, where the scholarship is greater than the tuition and books. And so I've got the. This is actually right from IRS Code Section One One Seven. 
Okay. Okay. So it ta- it's it's talking about amounts. It's actually paraphrased paraphrased from that because theirs is hard to read. It's in legalese. Anyway, I think you'll understand this. Amounts received from a qualified scholarship for tuition, fees, books, and required supplies are not taxable to the recipient. Well, we know that. So in other words, if, as long as it's used for tuition, fees, books, and required supplies. However, the portion of the scholarship used to cover room and board expenses is taxable to the recipient. We got that part right, or I got that part right last week. What I missed, though, was this. The taxable portion of a scholarship for room and board expenses is considered earned income for purposes of calculating the standard deduction for a dependent. So, um, Tom, you are correct. And by sending this form, it's uh, Table 8, the Standard Deduction Worksheet, you've answered, you've filled this out correctly. Because when you have earned income and you're a dependent, the amount of standard deduction is the lower of, in last year, $12,000 or your earned income plus $350, which it was. So in this particular case, uh, your son does not need to file a return and you have earned income. So I, I'm going to change my answer. I think you can do a Roth IRA. He can do a Roth IRA. And in the amount of thirty-seven ninety-two, because that's the amount of earned income that. Uh, yeah, the, three thousand seven hundred ninety-two bucks. Three thousand four hundred forty-two. You can't include the extra three fifty you get for the standard deduction. Oh wow! Yeah, to be to be since I know <laughs> we're getting specific here. The thirty-four forty-two was his excess scholarship yes, money. Yes, that's the earned income. Yeah. So. Tom, your stepson can contribute $3,442 into a Roth IRA. Yes. But now he can't because it's April, after April 15th, right? Yeah, way to go, Al. Yeah. <laughs> totally blew him up. <laughs> totally messed that one up. <laughs> Hopefully he already did. <laughs> well, for next year. <laughs> you, now we're going to get sued for $34. For, for terrible the, advice. For terrible uh, free advice on the air That's that right. we're only getting partial information from. All I can say is you get what you pay for. <laughs> uh, t- well, Tom, if, if you want to talk to our legal department... <laughs> About Al's liability. <laughs> About Al's liability on some some advice there. Um, so, yeah, that's that's if that was last year, he's done. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, well, but, but way to go, Andy. Way to bring that up. But 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 I'll say so. Age sixteen, maybe this will happen many years. So it's right. Yeah, the stepson is sixteen years old. So what's he getting? Well, he's in. He's he's, he's a prodigy. He's 16 private, and the guy's in college? School, I well, I mean, it's just, just, I was going to say another word. But shoot, look at Tom here. I mean, Tom is doing calculations like Einstein. Yes. I well, no wonder son. No wonder. I mean, uh, you know, the stepson, just he wants to be like Tom. And right. he's like, you know, hey, what do I got to do to get the, you know, the affection <laughs> right. of my stepdad? That's, that's right. Because he's so cool. And oh, so I, I get it. I'm with you. All right. Um, so there you go, Tom. Uh, any more questions? Probably send them to a better show that could get you the right answer on time. <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> okay, Ross from uh, Ventura, California. He calls or writes in. He goes, I enjoy watching you characters on YouTube. <sighs> I don't know if that's a compliment or not, Ross, but oh. I appreciate that. Are we characters? I guess you are. 
<laughs> he a, enjoys it. I think that means that it's a compliment. Uh, does a SEP IRA have the same protection through ERISA as a 401k? Well, Ross, for you to even ask that question, that means you're up to no good. <laughs> or you're concerned about something. <laughs> something must be going on in your life. Right. Uh, so what's he, what's he talking about here, Al? ERISA protection. Yeah, ERISA protection. You're actually better at explaining ERISA. I'll take the second part of the question. Well, I mean, it's just the protection of looking at if you're going to get sued, right? So maybe he has rental properties. Maybe he's going to file bankruptcy or something like that. There's ERISA is a code that was, what, back in 74, and it was really to protect retirees because um, Studebaker, remember that yeah, car? Yeah, Studebaker? I do. I do. Um, that kind of caused, um, they had a, the, one of like, the, the, they had the first pension plan or one of the first pension plans that blew up. Yeah. I, I recall Studebaker because that's that's how I learned about stocks from my dad because he was rather upset because he had invested <laughs> in Studebaker stock. Got it. And it had done so well. It, it for yeah, for just a while. Like probably Kodak and yeah, and then it didn't. Blockbuster. Yeah. So right. when did the Studebaker pension fail? Like in the seventies. So because ERISA was established in seventy four. So it had to have been around there. And then so with this was looking at, hey, we need to have certain protections within the overall retirement planning system. Um, and so then that was the birth of the 401k plan, because if companies weren't necessarily responsible enough to fund the overall pension and pay their promised, I guess, li- liabilities, that they were like, well, then the, the father of the 401k kind of came out. I forget his name. Uh, but he was like, well, let's come up with defined contribution plans where you can save into the plan. Ted Benna. Yeah, that's right. Didn't we? We talked about him before. We've talked about him, and I'm trying to get him on the show. Got it. Ted Benna. He's ignoring us at the moment. Yeah. Well, <laughs> whatever, Ted. We have such a quality show. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, well, anyway, so ERISA has these protections in place just to keep this thing very high level. Um, and those are under 401k, Section 401k plan. So if I keep my money into a 401k plan and I get sued <clears throat> because I have a rental property and someone breaks their leg and because of negligence or something like that, well, if it's under a 401k plan, then it's protected. O.J. Simpson's pension plan is protected. Right. Right? And because it's, he and lost it's... the civil suit with um, um, allegedly killing people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Right. It, it is. It was allegedly, <laughs> and so his, his his NFL pension is protected. Right. Right. Um, so, but other assets they could seize because they're not under you know this type of protection. So what Ross is asking us, he's like, all right, well, I understand that there's some level of protection in a 401k plan. Is there the same level of protection in an IRA? And the answer's kinda. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you what I know. And I'm also going to tell you what I am less sure about and check with your attorney. Okay, is that fair? Uh, yeah, that's a very Since good CYA. Need, every time I give an answer now, I'm going to do that. <laughs> Please yeah. double check before any filing deadlines. <laughs> I'm pretty clear on that, April 15th. Anyway, so you are correct with regards to bankruptcy protection on uh, the ERISA plans, 401ks. It's, it's unlimited, fully protected. With regards to IRAs, uh, they actually just increased the amount on April 1st of this year. It's $1,362,800. That's the amount of IRA that is protected upon bankruptcy. Now, if you had an IRA that's a rollover from a 401k, that still gets unlimited treatment. 
And what Ed Slott recommends, who's one of the IRA gurus in the country, he recommends, although it's not required, that you keep those those rollover funds in a separate IRA if you're concerned about this. So it's really clear that all of that stuff came from your 401k and has unlimited protection. And <clears throat> But then there is that. Now, on a civil suit, there are some other limitations there. Yeah, I'm not going to get into civil suits because I, I don't I'm not an attorney. I don't know what the what the rules are. So and it's that, all and it's all a state by state, right? Right. So you got the federal law, and then you got each state has their own laws in regards to well, that's, that, some of that protection. That's, under. that's true too, and we're, and we're not going to even try to answer that. And then furthermore, I will say this: according to Ed Slot, this article that I have, he says employer sponsored. SEP IRAs and simple IRAs are fully protected, just like 401ks. And so what I'm not clear on is what if it's your own SEP IRA and you're the employer. Right, you're the employer and employee. I don't know the answer to that. Maybe one of our attorney friends listening does, but I'm not clear on that. Okay, John from San Diego. Uh, My current employer's 401k plan does not allow for third-party management. If there is there an age at which it's mandatory for the company to allow me to do this. I have a fairly substantial amount of money in the account, and I'm not entirely comfortable managing it. I'm using the brokerage link option offered by Fidelity and would like to avail myself of professional service. Thanks. All right. Well, John, this is, um, so John's got a lot of money accumulated in his 401k plan, and he's just not comfortable managing it himself. Yeah, he'd like some help, he's some like, professional help. Yeah, how the hell can I get some professional help here? I got a brokerage link. Thank you for the Fidelity for offering me that. But now I have a million choices. What do I pick? How do I do it? What's going on? And then this is interesting. He's like, is there a, a certain age uh, where it's mandatory for the company to do it? So he's kind of on the other side of the coin is that, hey, I got money. I need help. I don't want to screw this thing up. The, the employer, it should be mandatory for the employer to allow me to do this right. as a fiduciary. That's what he's asking. Right. Yeah. Um, and the answer in most cases, John, I would say 59 and a half, there's something that you can do is what is called an in-service withdrawal. Um, it's all dependent on the plan document through your employer. Uh, but in most cases, once you reach age 59 and a half, if you wanted to do an in-service, there's pros and cons, of course, of doing this. You would take money from that 401k plan, uh, roll it into your own individual IRA plan. You could hire an advisor at that point to manage the assets within the IRA since the company's not allowing professional management within the 401k. Um, so that's one option. So that's a mandatory um I'm, I'm, a mandatory is kind of a strong word. It's going to be up to the plan document. But in most cases, you're going to be able to probably have access to those dollars at 59 and a half. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I have seen plans that has have, uh, requ- uh, what are we talking? A little bit more restrictive yeah, yeah. language yeah, in the plan yeah, where, where, where Yeah, more restrictive where it, it may be in your 60s or older. I've seen plans where it's even 50. Right. Yeah, I've yeah. seen plans where you could t- take the money, you, or they, you have the company match that's available now, but your contributions, or if you rolled another plan into this plan from a previous employer, those dollars are usually accessible. So that's one option. The pro to that is that you could get your professional management that you're looking for. If you want someone to actually pick the overall investments based on your goals, timeframes, risk tolerance, tax situation, blah, 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 then they can construct that overall portfolio, pick the appropriate investments, rebalance that, tax 
tax manage it, distribute assets to you in regards to income and all the other things and the pros that that, that um, is available when, when you hire a professional manager. The yeah. con is that the, the, there's going to be an expense for that type of service, which I'm sure that you're aware of that you're asking for professional management. So it's not free. So that's a con. Um, you also want to make sure that the service that you're getting for that fee that you're paying um, is is full service, that you're getting all, all the things that you want. Because I guess all professional managers are not created equal. And you want to truly understand what type of investment philosophy that that manager has compared to what investment philosophy that you feel is appropriate for your situation. So um, that's that way. The other way to do it is that you can still hire a professional manager or CFP or CFA or an advisor to help you manage your overall accounts right now. Um, let's say they don't have access to your 401k plan, but you have a brokerage link account. So that is full avail of all the different investments that Fidelity has on their shelf. And so you could hire an advisor either via by hourly rate, you know, by a retainer or, or depending on what that firm does and how they do it, they could go through and select all the different investments that is appropriate for you, you know, and then you can just come back and then they can help you rebalance that overall account on a quarterly basis. It wouldn't be nearly as efficient to have it, you know, fully just um, a non-discretionary account with the, with the advisor, but it's still doable. So even though the professional manager or management or investment manager can't go in itself. They can, I think they can still give you really good advice. And that would certainly be the way to go if you're under 59 and a half, because you may not have the in-service withdrawal option. Right. Any suggestions for a good place to save money for a house down payment time horizons, two to five years? Yes. Cash. Yeah. Keep it safe. CDs to your CD. All right, guys. Hey, hopefully you enjoyed the show. Uh, wish Big Al a happy birthday. You can uh, wish him a happy birthday at uh, Ask Joe and Al on the air. You can just send us a voice recording. That'd be very sweet of all of you. Just to say, hey, happy birthday, Big Al. Thanks for all the bad advice over the years. <laughs> um, and we will play that on the show next week. All right. Show's called Your Money or Wealth. Yeah, I know this is getting lengthy, but if you cut out now, you'll miss the derails at the end of the episode. So don't do that. Special thanks to today's guest, Kristen Wong. Visit the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com for links to joint accounts at medium.com and Kristen's book, Get Money, Live the Life You Want, Not Just the Life You Can Afford. While you're there, if you love this podcast, you can do us a huge favor and share it all over the internet. Tell everyone you know that they can listen and subscribe for free on whatever podcast app they like, or all of them for that matter. Find links in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free two-meeting assessment with a certified financial planner, click the free assessment button at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Lululemon, Al's senior discounts and memory, and talking about yourself in the third person. These are the derails for the week of April 23rd, 2019 on Your Money, Your Wealth. I was listening to this one uh, podcast, and I and I recently found out that the host of it is, is a Southern California kid. And I was at Lululemon, 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 
you, it's a clothing store. Oh, now. I never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a, the drink? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> anyway, so I'm in there and I was buying some um, actually pants to play golf in this golf tournament. Okay. And then I was talking to the the, the girl that was helping me out. I said, here, the, here here's, um, I'm looking for this particular color, blah, blah, blah. We're kind of chatting it up. Yeah. And so she's like, well, what are you, what are you doing? I was like, well, I'm playing in a golf tournament this weekend. And she's like, oh, here, my, you know, my coworkers, he's a professional golfer. Yeah. And then I'm like, yeah, whatever. You work at Lululemon. <laughs> You're not a professional golfer. Right. And a nice enough guy said, hey, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. And then um, the next day. Right. I'm listening to this podcast, and this guy goes, yeah, I caddied for Martin Trainer. Uh, we won this tournament, and, um, you know, I work part-time at Lululemon. <laughs> <laughs> so it really was. <laughs> like, oh, my God, I just met that dude. Right. <laughs> I was like, I wow. guess he is kind of legit. Right. Um, so, uh, what, what color pants did he get? I got white. White? Yeah. You could get that anywhere. I thought you were going to kind of step out and do purple chartreuse no 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 No, they just they're 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 comfortable uh pants fire engine red i would highly recommend maybe you check them out lululemon yeah they're pretty expensive too mostly i mean they're very popular yoga pants for women got it and then um they have uh, they've got a uh, golf line it's yeah it's a it's a men's line all right i'll wait for him to get to ross (laughs) it is uh somewhat because i am a senior now yes you are yeah you can get coffee for like watch my money i actually been able to get cheaper movie tickets for the last two years so how about that well once once you're 50 doesn't aarp start knocking on your door yeah, well, yeah, that's that's. So you get all on. sorts of discounts and stuff there, right? Well, a few. Not much happens, to be honest, until you're 60, except for um, uh, what you call it, the, the the Grand Slam breakfast. Yeah, your memory leaves. Yeah, yeah, your memory. You got, you got, you can't remember like Denny's. That's a, such a hard name to remember. <laughs> Uh, well, um, happy, happy birthday, buddy. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm glad we had another year together, and hopefully this is our last one. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> uh, that could be. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> the way it's going. <laughs> hey, if you do have a question for Joe and uh, Big Al, I just called myself in third person, and that <laughs> felt very uncomfortable. You never do that. I hate people that do that. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Yeah, Joe wants to answer some email questions. <laughs> Joe's going to grab the email bag right now and see what you guys have to say. Joe? <laughs> well, thanks for asking, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> you ever hang out with people that talk to themselves in the third person? Not many, but I, I don't like it. it. It's really difficult not to just make fun of them. <laughs> it's really hard for me not to just say, "Are you you just so, referred yourself in so third na- person? Now that you're, you belong to a golf club. Yes. Um, country club. No. Are, are, are the people talking the third person? Yeah, there? There's, there, there, there could be a lot of D-holes yeah. out there. Right. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm just kind of an easygoing, you know, I drink a couple Coors Lights and wearing play your, a little golf. Wearing and, your white pants. It's, you know, tournament time, you got to look sharp, Al. You do. I agree. Yes. Um, so if you do have questions for us, uh, you can go to Ask Joe and Al on the air. That's the button. It's not like, ask Joe. <laughs> ask Joe. <laughs> ask me. Yes. What's your name, Joe? So there you go. There are your derails. We will catch you next week.